It's the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach, show number 96, March 2009. Spoke with the members of High Groove Studios about their application Scout, which monitors your Rails application and other metrics. Had quite a few interesting things to say about the technical details behind implementing that. It's the Rails Podcast, talking to the members of High Groove Studios, James Edward Gray, too, Derek Haynes, Andre Lewis, uh, Charles Brian Quinn, the final member, isn't here with us in this uh, talk. First time I've done a Skype conference call, and uh, we'll see how this works. So I talked to uh, at least Derek and Andre about a year and a half ago, right before you were launching Scout, your monitoring application, and here we are year and a half later, you're about to release a 2.0 version. It's made it this far. It must be wildly profitable. Derek, how's it going on that end? Well, I, we, I just brought my Ferrari last week, so <laughs> so things are, are looking up. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's been going well. You know, we're, we're certainly, uh, we're not the, we're not in the, um, YouTube range, but we're we're really enjoying what we're doing, and it's you know it's it's become our our big thing. Now I'm surprised that there are, this must be a hot space because there are a lot of companies, or at least several, trying to do this kind of thing. You got New Relic doing monitoring. You got uh, Five Runs, who's also has a main product, and they launched another thing. And then you got, you have a couple of people doing exception monitoring for for just er- Rails errors. Why did you think that this was a a good area to build an app when there are already so so many existing competitors? Yeah, it really came down to scratching our own itch and you know building something that. Um, filled our own needs. And I, I really think that's key in what drove uh, the vision of Scout is that, you know, we use it every day for the apps that, that we run. You know, it helps so much when you're building something that you're actually using every single day. And uh, I, I think the other thing that for, for us was that we wanted to, to build something that uh, people could build on in an open source way. So all of our plugins are open source, uh, there's uh, new ones that get built all the time by the community, and that's something that we didn't see in any of the other products out there. James, there's a huge difference between just writing something that works for you personally and making something that's good enough to, to show to the public. How much extra work has it taken you to make this app ready for, for people to sign up and use and you know even billing and all that, rather than just something that you would hack together internally in a weekend? It's definitely taken quite a bit of effort. Um, Scout is a complicated thing in that it runs code from arbitrary arbitrary code from users uh, that they can write their own plugins, and and we need to be able to run that and and in a reliable way. Um, and with the new version, we're getting ready to release. We've moved uh, to a daemon approach. We we used to just have a a cron script that you triggered every so many minutes. Now we're we're actually doing a full daemon that runs all the time, and and so uh, one of the biggest concerns has been keeping it robust and reliable. Uh, and we've definitely spent a lot of effort to make that happen. Uh, we did some consulting with Ara T. Howard, uh, who's pretty famous uh, from 
Code for People. Uh, he's written all kinds of great libraries like BJ for background jobs and Rails and stuff. Um, and we sat down with him and we said, okay, we need to build this reliable software that runs 24-7 and doesn't stop. And here's the ideas we have and you know, tell us the ideas you have. And we kind of worked back and forth and, and built a plan to how to build reliable software that you can count on, right? even if it's running other people's code and things like that. That is definitely ambitious to do a daemon. I'd be interesting to hear why you did that instead of a cron job. I recently I bought a little co-located a little uh, Mac Mini because I needed to do some Mac-based server processing for some screenshots and stuff, and started up a queue. And pretty soon I realized, oh, if I only have one worker and it gets stopped, then nothing happens. If I use the Ruby timeout then I could end up spawning all these extra processes that never get killed when the timeout ends. You really have to stay on top of that to make sure that you're not launching too many processes, leaving zombie ones hanging around. What can, Did you run into those kinds of problems? Yes, we definitely did. Um, the, you're right that it's much more complicated to design the game and, and make it work well. So there's kind of two questions there. One is, why did we do it? And then two, how did we do it? And the why is um, that while the Chrome-based approach was great and we never got you know a single support request with somebody saying, you filled up my box with processes and, and shut it down. That was great. Wow. Um, but, but at the same time, we couldn't count on it being there all the time. Uh, so... For example, with the new Scout, we want to be able to pass data into Scout instead of having Scout go fetch the data that it needs. Um, and that makes certain things easier. Uh, for example, Rails instrumentation, if you can pass that data out of Rails when it's convenient instead of trying to parse it out of logs that aren't easily parsed. Um, and then uh, another reason was so that we could treat the daemon as kind of a service that can monitor your server and say, hey, load looks pretty heavy right now. Let's take a snapshot of the environment and see what's going on. Uh, and we wanted to be able to add services like that. And so that's the why we did it. And then the how, um, Aira has just written tons of software that's, that's very reliable, and um, he really showed us the techniques for building super reliable software. But basically it boils down to... You, you build a small piece of your code, let's say under 100 lines in the case, case of the new Scout daemon, that keeps an eye on and monitors the rest of your code, you know, be it 10,000 lines or whatever. And then when that code starts having problems, leaking memory, having errors, then the code, the smaller piece of code, can restart it and get it running again. And the, that's easy to do because it's easy to write 100 lines of bug-free code, whereas it's hard to write 10,000 lines of bug-free code. So you, you, know, you get it to where you can count on that, that restart process, and you use that to monitor everything else, uh, and, and it's an easy way to build reliable software. That's interesting. So you almost wrote your own little monit or god type of monitoring script within the, the daemon to keep track of itself. That's right, yeah. It works a lot like that, and you, and you gain a lot from that. Once you have that particular piece working, then you can count on that and you can build your strategies around that. For example, um, we're adding in some XMPP for our services and, 
and some people have said that that library leaks memory. Um, we haven't noticed that in our own use of it so far, so I think it's probably dependent on how you use it. But if it turned out that it did start leaking memory on us, then it would be trivial for us to fix that problem by just setting a background thread that shuts down that particular part of the process every so many hours or something, which would be immediately restarted by our monitoring code with a fresh process and new set of memory. No more memory leak problem. Now, that's a great idea, but Derek, I'd like to ask, what about the security of that? Already, I've seen some comments on other similar services and people have said, hey, I don't want to be sending all my private data out to a remote server you do use HTTPS, but I noticed you have Google, you use Google charts for the, a lot of the graphs, and that's not encrypted, and the, the data is then being on, sent on to a third server for Google. Why, why did you choose to have a hosted service, and have you ever even considered having a just selling it as a, a software package? I guess that's three or four questions. <laughs> no, they're, they're all good questions. So, you know, I think the, the first part one one part that I find interesting when people talk about the data is I think metric data is important, but I think we also have to kind of be honest with ourselves about what data is most important. There's services like, you know, you have Salesforce. You have all your customer information in there, all your leads. Everything's on the web. Someone could have an account and just log in, and, and it's pretty easy to export all of that data. Um so there's there's a, there's a lot of services that that put that you know that put the data up up there. The the other you know the other big piece is that Scout's a pretty it's a pretty complicated piece of software. Uh, we're, we have to do a lot of things to scale the data to make sure we can we can handle as you put more and more data in. So it it's it's really you know it, it's got some some pretty custom work in there. That it would be very difficult for someone to just for us to just release it, allow people to install it, and and to you know push off a set of updates. I think you know I'm not really sure if there's a too many examples of of Rails apps in in general that are you know really handling that uh, migration and upgrade process too well. And I and I would say that the ones that are probably a lot simpler than a lot of the things that are going on behind the scenes with Scout. How about if you're maintaining the ability to send data back to the client, are you running some kind of Erlanger closure or massively scalable kind of service on the on the server, or is that still just Ruby that can make a little API hit out to the client periodically? So I think I think there, there's a couple ways that we communicate back and forth with the with the agent that is installed on the servers. The the typical case is it's just it's just pinging it's just sending the data right to a Sinatra app that we have, um, so it's just a very basic API uh, that that works with Scout. The 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 second case that you're talking about when of, of sending data back and forth, um, James, you want to talk a little bit about about XMPP with Scout? Yeah, we've just added that in recently. Um, and what we're doing is um, the Scout daemon now, when it uh, starts up, checks in with an XMPP server, and that is an Erlang server that we're running up on, on Scout. And uh, it checks in with that, and then the server, if it needs to reach out to the client, say, because 
a user installs a new plugin and they'd like to see that plugin run immediately, then the uh, Scout server can reach out to that uh, client server and uh, ask it to uh, check in. Uh, and so we send that message over XMPP and then that triggers the process to check in again. So um, we're just using that as a way to keep in contact with the agent if we need to send it commands or if you're interacting with the web interface and you'd say, I'd really like to see a snapshot of my environment right now, then we can send that over XMPP, ask the daemon to take it and send that up immediately. That's interesting. So you're using an existing service and XMPP is great for that because it's it's built to maintain that connection and you can use a server that's already written instead of having to re- re-implement that from scratch yourself. You know, basically the, the two cases we're trying to provide is 90, 99% of the time, you just want to get data that's, that's regularly pushed in the scout you know, every couple of minutes. But there's certainly those times where, where things are at that exact moment, you know, something's really going wrong. And you want to be able to get a view of, of what the data looks like right now and, and possibly run what we call a snapshot, which is basically a list of commands you want to run. It might be top... It might be tailing the last, you know, 500 logs of your, 500 lines of your Rails log file. So, so basically, it give, it allows us XMPP allows us to give give the user give you instant feedback on what's going on with your server. And again, the other 90 percent of the time, we're just dumping data up at a regular interval. Andre, you did some some graphic design in the new redesign, and maybe even use some some resources that I passed on to you, but I love the fact that you're using some spark lines. You've got a lot of information in a small amount of space without being too confusing. And one other thing that I've implemented on some of my own uh, report, internal reporting that I've seen you've done is just little up and down arrows to tell if a statistic, you know, went up or down. But in your case, You've got to also communicate, did that, is that a good thing or a bad thing that it went up and down so you used green and red? I, th- I thought that was a good idea. What other kind of visual presentation of data kind of ideas did you want to put into this new redesign? Yeah, I, I think those are, those are always really interesting things that come up when you're building a, a UI. One of the interesting things about Scout is that we are trying to present only the information that you need to know. So, you know, I think the more that we refine the interface, ideally, the less you should see on the page when you visit Scout, which is kind of an interesting challenge, right? Because, you know, the more you get it right, kind of like the less there is to show, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, specifically, the uh, I really like the, the up and down things. We have some for, for each... Uh, data series that's coming into Scout, we, uh, you know, annotate it with some metadata. For example, you know, uh, is a rise in this particular data series a good thing or is it a bad thing? And uh, so you'll notice that actually the, the, the throughput data series, you know, if that goes down, uh, that's considered a bad thing. On the other hand, the average request time, um, if that goes up, that's considered a bad thing, So and vice versa. So I think little things like that, I think, um, can go a long way towards just when you see the interface just kind of looks right. So, you know, that, that's what we're uh, honing in on. And uh, 
I think it's. I think the end result is going to be pretty appealing. Now I have to come back to one other thing that Derek said. Sinatra, you're using Sinatra as, as part of the on the server end to just take a quick API hit and, and store some data. You know, I love. I think Sinatra is a, a great thing, and that's a perfect use of it. But now in Rails 2.3, we have Rack and we have Metal to where you can easily have a small little uh, action that takes a hit and bypasses the rest of Rails and can be really fast. Did you consider that? Now that that is part of Rails, do you think that may be a better way to go in the future? So, you know, we we, we worked with Sinatra first just because, you know, obviously some of that, some of the pieces you're talking about, the Rails metal were, were out when we started working on a Sinatra app, but we definitely wanted to work. We chose this with Sinatra just because there was, there was more out there. It was more polished pieces like that. The other thing for us is, is that, you know, the, we really have two things, you know, that, that run at once. We've got the, the web interface and then we've got the reporting piece. So, we, we want those to actually be completely separate because it's more likely we'll be pushing through updates to the, to the, to the rails app, it, but we don't want the reporting service to go down. So, so there's always going to be some separation for us between those two and, you know, rails and metal, you know, might be able to, to support that. But I think just with, just with what we've known and what we've done with Sinatra, there's just a comfort level there that we wanted to, to work with that first. I just wanted to add to that a little bit too. Is that uh, Sinatra is pretty awesome to work with. Um, one of the things that we've done that we're going to be uh, writing about a little bit too is uh, integrating some of the or sharing some of the code and some of the configuration between Sinatra and Rails, which is an interesting problem to solve. Um, so even though they run completely separately and they're different instances, and we don't have to worry about uh, you know. Uh, a hiccup, say, in the Rails process affecting the Sinatra app, and that's what we want, uh, we actually do do some, the applications are kind of intertwined in some interesting ways. So that's something we're going to be, uh, we're going to be blogging about in the, in the near future here, too. Well, thanks, guys. Definitely an interesting project, and great to hear about some of the technical details you've worked for. When's the new uh, beta going to be rolled out? We're going to be rolling it out to the paying customers on Scout in the next three weeks, and we'll also be previewing it at the Golden Gate Ruby conference, which I believe is April 17th. April 17th. Well, good stuff. Uh, Thanks again. Well, thank you. Thank you, Thanks, Jeffrey. The Rails Podcast is sponsored by Peep Code Screencasts. New screencasts on email productivity with Lars Pinned and Pro Screencasting with Final Cut Pro. If you'd like to start your own screencast either for a blog, a product, or elsewhere.